Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 399 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find a wonderfully supportive writing community and some fantastic writing courses as well. I'm here with my co-host and partner in crime, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate. She's the author of the Mapmaker Chronicles series, the Adaban Cipher series, and most recently, she's the author of The Fire start a maven and reeve mystery how are you al can you believe we're at episode 399 no uh, no i actually can't believe it like in some ways i like in some ways i can i do feel as though you and i have been talking to each other for about <laughs> i don't know well it's probably about 25 years now that i yeah. think about it um so yeah that makes sense uh but the fact that we've actually been consistently doing this for yes 400 episodes is almost kind of crazy That's right. This is our penultimate episode to Mm. uh, the big 400. And the 400th episode is going to be all about you, our listeners. So if you are in the Facebook group, and if you're not, you should be, just Mm. go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there because it's, you know, it's free for you to join. And it's such a great community. And where we have a post in that Facebook group that uh, explains what the 400th episode is all about and it's where you get a chance to ask your questions all about writing and publishing and really anything you want uh, to Alison and myself. So we look forward to answering all of your questions in the 400th episode. So look out for that in the Facebook group. All right. Were you going to say something else? Sorry. Okay. Oh, look, I, I, like, I took a deep breath there like I was about to come forth with something very exciting, was, didn't I? But I think yes. I was just thinking, wow, that's all. That was just going to be a wow. Yes, 400. wow, 400. Wow. I can't believe yeah. it. All right. Yeah. So um, we, have an, uh, we, we are going to talk about the Stella Prize. We are going to talk How about exciting. the Stella Prize because the Stella Prize has been announced, which is yes. very, very exciting. The winner of the Stella Prize this year is Evie Wilde's book, The Base Rock, um, yes. set across multiple time periods and with mm. three distinct narrative voices throughout. This dazzling book by Evie Wilde blurs the line between the past and the present, the real and the imagined, the natural and the unnatural world. Um, now, cool. I have not read it, but it does sound like a cracking read and I'm very, very mm. excited for Evie. Yes, and the Stella Prize is um, no mean feat. So congratulations no, to Evie. It's, well, it's a it's a big literary award celebrating big. Australian women's writing, um, and it began and in two thousand and twelve. So yes. next year's the big ten years, um, and it's um, you know it's a great initiative. And congratulations to Evie. Yes, and <clears throat> it's fifty thousand dollars. Let's not forget well, that as well. So that's pretty good. Fifty thousand dollar prize. <laughs> Should be able to write another one now. <laughs> All right, um, let's move on to the uh, world of writing and publishing that's outside of the Stella Prize. And you have a great post, Al. Yes, well, you know that every once in a while I get excited and yeah. you know, a little bit motivated. <laughs> I go beyond fair to middling and into excited and I'll mm-hmm. write myself a blog a blog post. Um, yeah, I can't believe, like I look at it now and I just cannot believe I used to blog every single day, whereas now mm. I struggle to get one up, you know, once a week just due to all the other billion things I'm doing. Oh, and before we get to that, I've actually got, I'm actually working on something new. I need to share that with you. There's oh. a secret project coming. I know. That's exciting. Can you give it us is a exciting? Hit? No, and I'm not going to. Um, okay. No, it's. Uh, I will say that it is. A, it has to do with the Your Kids Next Read community. Oh yes. Um, 
and that there's something new coming there, which is very, very exciting. Very and so exciting. I'm, like this is why I'm only getting – what I'm trying to say here <laughs> is that this is one of the reasons why I'm only getting up one blog post a week. I'm actually just making excuses for myself yes. by trying to whip <laughs> up excitement over my secret project, okay? Oh, okay. But right. I did get excited and I – I put together a blog post called Eight Practical Writing Trips, <laughs> Trips, Eight <laughs> Practical Writing Tips to Try Today. And what I did, yeah. and this is all about, remember we had the, we've had several conversations because I'm so excited by myself mm. about how I, my, my goal for this year was to make more of what I already had, what I was yes. already doing. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So, the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast, it will not surprise you, is a wonderful source of material. <laughs> And of really incredible insight and wisdom. Exactly. So I went through, I trawled through um, some of the transcripts of our recent episodes and I pulled out eight fantastic writing tips, um, practical writing tips uh, that I've pulled together and put into a post. And if you go to my blog, alisontech.com, you'll be able to find them all beautifully there and you'll be able to click through and listen to the whole episode um, of each of these in case you haven't listened to the whole episode. Of course, mm. all of our listeners out there are just hanging on every single word that we utter <laughs> and are listening to every single word, but just in case you missed it. Um, so because, you know, that's something that we do talk about a lot is also listening to interviews that are outside of your area of interest. I think sometimes people get a little bit, you know, caught up and go, oh, that's a YA author, that's not my, that's not for me, or that's a picture book author, that's not for me, or that's mm. a not, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, but I, I think the point of it is that there's something to learn from for sure. everyone every single time. Um, yep. So I've got eight practical writing tips here from the likes of Craig Sylvie, Lily Wilkinson, mm. Monica McInerney, Meg Keneally, Leon Tanner, um, Will Kostakis, and uh, there's a couple of great ones there. And I think, you know, one of the ones that I, I think probably resonated a little bit with me, and this might surprise you, is the Craig Sylvie one uh, where he says, allow yourself time to breathe, like to be mm. patient. Um, mm. Trying to tease a novel into being is a long, protracted and difficult process mm. and you need to allow yourself time to do it. And I think the reason that that resonated with me so much is probably because it is actually the opposite of how I work. My yes. way of writing tends to be just get it out, like get the whole thing on the page and then work your way through it and see what you've got. Um, but it is something that I have been like trying to think about too. I think you, you, the way that you work changes depending on the projects that you're working on. Mm. And I'm working on something new at the moment and it's it's a slightly different thing for me. So I'm trying – I'm I'm just really trying to kind of not not try to barrel my way through it, which is the way I normally mm. go about things. If I come against up against a block, you know, I try to push my way through it. I'm sort of like trying to just sit with it for a while. I'm not thinking too much about the word counts, which mm. again is a bit the antithesis of, of how I operate. Um, I'm just trying to think about like just sitting with it and waiting for the correct, waiting for the right solution to actually present itself before I go forward um, rather than trying to write my way through the solution. So mm. I thought, you know, I think sometimes you just have to hear it from someone else to go, actually, you know what, this is this is not me being lazy and procrastinating and whatever, although mm. there may be some of that. There may be a little <laughs> of that, you know. Um, it's more just sort of trying to kind of like just sit with it for a while and see what see what happens. Mm. Um, 
But, you know, it's interesting because then Lily Wilkinson's next, Lily Wilkinson's tip, which is the very next tip, is learn to force it, you know, <laughs> learn to write your way through it. And I think that that's the reason I use those two as examples mm. um, because she says, you know, when she used to write, uh, you know, as a hobby, she just wrote when she felt like it. She would, you know, wrote when she would enjoy it. Um, if she mm. didn't feel like writing, she didn't do it, you know. But part of being a professional writer is learning to actually force it and write, you know, when you're not feeling it, when the muse is in the car park. And um, the reason I share those two tips is is because we're all different. Mm. We all work in different ways and you just never know what it is that one, someone else, you know, in a, in a position of having been through it, having experienced, having having been published, you never know what the thing is that's actually going to just tweak your process a tiny, tiny bit and yep. is, is going to, you know, start to help you produce the results that you want. So mm. I, I put them together in the, in the post specifically because yes. they are different. Um, but also because I think it's a really important lesson that you, you know, you listen to all the advice, you listen to all the tips, you don't have to act on every single one of them, but Mm. you just don't know what will resonate with you. Absolutely. I think that's um, really, really useful to highlight because everyone, as you say, everyone works in different ways. But um, one of the things you said earlier, which really makes sense, is that every project is different. So there might be some books that just require that marinating time and just means that you might take years for things to formulate properly in your brain and there's some other things that just are desperate to come out white hot and you know before you know it you've kind of got a draft and and that's both of those are okay from the same person as well because that's right you know depends on the idea all right brilliant I think that's a great post and that's on Alison's um blog which is at Al alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. Just before we move on, though, there's there's yes. two others. There's two others that I would particularly like to highlight. Yeah. <clears throat> one of them, sorry, I've now got a frog in my throat, which is going to make it a pretty interesting moment here. Um, <laughs> one of them is Meg Keneally's uh, tip. So Meg yes. is the daughter of Thomas Keneally, who is mm. a, a highly uh, respected and awarded and, you know, best-selling author. Uh, yes. in Australia yeah. uh, and around the world, like, let's face it. Um, she says that um, one of the biggest lessons she's learned over the years is that mortals can do it. Mortals <laughs> can become published authors. And yes. she says that growing up with a published writer, hello, Thomas Keneally, in the family taught mm. me one important thing, which is that mortals can actually do it. Seeing that the person who gave me piggyback rides was able to write and get published and have a successful career showed me that it could be done. And I, mm. I, I like, honestly, I cannot imagine. She writes books with him, which just does my head in because I oh think I God. would be frozen by paralysis. Yeah. Um, and the other one that I loved was Leanne Tanner's one, which is to listen to the girls in the basement. Now, that sounds a little mm. bit weird, but. Mm-hmm. She says that the third book, she has a a best-selling middle grade uh, trilogy called The Rogues, and she said that the third book in The Rogues trilogy was a book that she plotted more intensively than she had ever plotted anything before. And yet, 
unexpected things still happened. And some of those unexpected things were the most beautiful things in the book and were the things that she ended up most pleased with and most intrigued by. Mm. And she said it's a matter of letting yourself be loose enough in your writing, allowing that sort of unconsciousness to come to the fore and letting what she's heard described as the girls in the basement speak up mm. in unexpected moments. And I, I love I love that idea because I I cannot agree more with that. Like, I mean, I know that I don't tend to plot and we, we know that, but I do have, mm. you know, outlines and I do have ideas of where things are going. And yet, you know, these things that just appear in your work yeah. and you're, you're, you're going, I don't actually know where this is going, but I'm just mm. going to go with this for a minute um, and see what happens. So one example of that is actually the beach circle in the Maven and Reeve mysteries. Mm. So when I started writing those, that, that first book, Maven, she did not have a beach circle. She did not have a society of women and girls who worked together. There was no secret society with her when mm. she first appeared in the story. And yet she, the, the beach circle appeared, this secret society. And, and I'm writing this story thinking, what is this? I don't even know what this is. How does this work? How am I going to work this into a detective story? What does this have to do with my story? And yet I went with it. And it turned out to be one of the, the strongest and most interesting ideas and themes in the whole book. So listen to the girls in the basement. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. It's always useful to be open-minded. That's right. Um, open-minded to your own inner voices or your girls in the basement, um, the but the basement. also open-minded to feedback, which is what Will Kostakis has yeah. said as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that it is important. Some people get really, really precious about their work, and so you should be, yes, because it's your creative output, but be open-minded at least. You don't have to actually take action on what you hear. <laughs> But I think it's still useful to listen to it because out of the 10 things people might tell you, you might disagree with eight of them, but those two gems may, may really lift your work. That's and right. you actually have to hear the 10 in order to get the two. You know what I mean? You do. You do. Mm. So I think, uh, yeah, being open to feedback and being open-minded is also very, very important. So it's a great post on Alison's blog. Um, but something that you mentioned, well, Meg Keneally, <clears throat> And Thomas Keneally just reminds me of a fun fact, just a little aside oh, here. Hello, fun fact, <laughs> alert, get an so, alert out. Thomas Keneally, I believe he lives maybe in Manly or something these days. He's a big fan of the Sea Eagles, but he used to live down the road from me in Avalon and um, uh, on the ocean side. <laughs> and um, it's it, uh, the, over the past, I don't know, a few years, that home has actually been up for sale and it, I was reminded of it because remember we interviewed Kelly Hawkins who wrote Other People's Houses and yes. the book was about basically this woman who goes to open homes every weekend and experience to, to, to kind of experience a lifestyle that she doesn't have. Yes. So I've often thought to myself, oh, because it's been um, open for inspection. It's been for sale a couple of times over the years. And oh. I, ha I happen to know the guy who's, who's sold it as well, um, as in the agent, sorry. Um, and I've, always, I've often wondered to myself, oh, is it okay to have a sticky beak? You know what I mean? To see where all this genius, <laughs> have to see where Schindler's Ark was written, you know? Yeah, it, yeah, Because yeah. no, I not, have no intention of buying it, but is it okay to have a sticky beak? Um, 
So no doubt it will come up for sale at some time in in the future as well. And I'll be wrestling with that moral dilemma because interestingly, yesterday, and you you heard it here first, um, yesterday I spoke to um, somebody because Ruth Park's old home... (gasps) I know, as in playing Beatty Bow, the Harp in the South, the Muddle-Headed Wombat. Um, Her old home, before she moved to Norfolk Island, apparently, um, in Lambie Heights, is about to be open uh, for inspection. Um, Does it have a turret? No. In fact, it's quite unexpected what it looks like. Um, Because she wrote Kelly's Castle, which is one of my favourite children's books ever. Mm, which features mm. a turret and no gave, turret. Me, gave me like a turret syndrome for my whole entire life. But anyway, yes. sorry. She obviously continue. had a really good As imagination because there's no turret. It is no turret. No, just a regular suburban house um, in Lambie Heights in Sydney. Um, I've been told that it was built in 1962 by Jack and Olga and then um, – Ruth Park moved in and lived there with her dogs and you can still see the scratches of the, the, the dog scratches on the bathtub. Everything's still in original condition. And then wow. this woman who I spoke to, her grandparents then became the owners many, many, many years ago wow. um, af- uh, and lived there after Ruth Park. So that's – I'm wrestling with the moral dilemma. I have no intention of buying it. But, you know, oh, do you go? Yeah, <laughs> you go. Where well, Ruth you but you're not. <laughs> Of course you go. You go and you take photos for your friends who might be wondering if there's a turret involved. <laughs> there's no turret. Your nameless, right. your nameless, faceless friends who might be wondering if there's a turret. Oh, oh my dear. god! Sorry, we 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 really went off to, off to, off um, yes, top yes. there, didn't we? Fun fact. Yes, definitely. All right, so let's move on. Um, <clears throat> Very excited about Mojo Month. We have the perfect thing if you've been in a bit of a creative slump lately and need to jumpstart on your writing goals because May is coming up. We love May, Al, not least because you and I are born in May. We do. We love it. Yes. A popular Mojo Month event is back for May, providing you with 31 days of motivation, mini challenges, inspirational goodies, and a crew of other writers alongside you for the ride. You can think of it as a creative road trip for your soul. We only offer this special event a few times per year, so make sure you book your place before this one takes off on the 1st of May. Uh, If you want to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash mojo, M-O-J-O, writerscentre.com.au slash mojo. Right, let's move on to our competition this week. I'm very excited. We have three copies of Where the Grass is Green. Now, Where the Grass is Green is the brand new novel from Lauren Weisberger, who is the global best-selling author of The Devil Wears Prada. So Where the Grass is Green is about perfect lives and perfect lies. Peyton Marcus is the woman New York wakes up to, anchor of the most watched morning show in the city, with a husband who adores her and a daughter who's headed to one of the best Ivy League schools. Peyton is that woman and she's damn good at it. Sky, her sister, has a knack for helicopter parenting with the best of them. She's looking for something real and it's within touching distance. Max, Peyton's daughter, is poised to kiss the fancy private school she hates goodbye and head off to pursue her dreams in film. She's waited her entire life for this opportunity. But suddenly, the grass isn't looking so green. One little lie 
That was all it took. Will any of them survive the truth? Exactly. For your chance to win one of three copies, go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 3rd of May. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Right. We need to talk about this because, (laughs) well, no, we do need to talk about this because Mm. we had a, a review this week. Mm-hmm. Just before we get into it. Oh, yes. We had a review this week. Okay. And the review specifically mentioned the word of the week. Word of the week, So I feel yes. as though before okay. we go into the word of the week, mm-hmm. we need to have a little chat about the review because you haven't read it out and you're supposed yes. to do it in yes. your best radio voice, oh, I yes. promised. <clears throat> That's right. So the review was from Bruce Christie. So thank you so much, Bruce. Hello, Bruce, uh, for writing it. Now, Bruce Bruce <laughs> says, I love listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, usually when I'm out walking. I always learn something from the intelligent, informative discussions both Alison and Valerie undertake with authors and industry personalities. It's the sort of insider information you won't find anywhere else. I particularly value the three top tips each interviewer is asked to give. Plus, wait for it, Al. I love the word of the week. Yes. Bruce and I have already discussed this in the Facebook community, but okay, Bruce, whatever. I've recommended So You Want to Be a Writer to a lot of my friends and I'd recommend it to anyone who wants to know something about what it means to be a writer. It's also a great place to find books for your book club. Thanks for the effort you both put into it. Oh, Bruce, oh, you're the best. Thanks, Bruce. Now, Bruce um, was going to put the review on Spotify, but the complexities of Spotify are beyond all of us. And so he put it in the group for us and we really thank appreciate you. it. And and here is the shout out we promised. Yes. Thank you, Bruce. Much appreciated. All right. Let's so, now, now I'm ready for the word of the week. Okay. So I know that you will have heard of this word and many, many listeners, possibly all listeners will have heard of this word, but you might not know where it's, where it comes from. Right. Okay. So I was going to say, right. Peplum. P E. P-L-U-M, peplum. Yes, I've heard of it. Yes. So everyone knows. I worked at Vogue. Of course, I know what a peplum is. That's right. And remember the days when peplum was what we wore? Um, I do. Let's not speak of that ever again. No. So, no, it's if you haven't heard of it, it's not a type of fruit. It's not a kind of plum. It's actually a short, full flounce or an extension of the waist covering the hips or a short skirt attached to a bodice or coat. So, remember, you get peplum jackets, you you get peplum tops and so on. So, but... It's from Greek, from an outer garment that you drape in folds like a toga. And in fact, fun fact, full of fun Fun facts today, in Italy, they have a genre of movies called peplums, which are the sword and sandal epics set in, you know, Greco-Roman times. Peplum. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So so Rusty was in a peplum. That's... Got it. Yes, go Rusco. All you, right. You, you'll need to be Australian to even know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. 
Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murdercourse. All right, let's move on to our writer in residence. I had a ball chatting to Craig Sisterson, who is a veritable encyclopedia of all things crime, as in crime writing. Uh, he's the author of the nonfiction crime book Southern Cross Crime, and I think that's awesome because he's focused on Australia and New Zealand um, and the crime authors in Australia and New Zealand, and he just has – Oh, he just knows everything about this particular genre in this particular geographic um, area. I follow him on Twitter. It's great. Yes, he's awesome. It's a terrific account. Follow yep. him on Twitter. And um, hope you enjoy the interview. Here is Craig Sisterson. Thanks so much for joining us today, Craig. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Valerie. It's lovely to chat. Now, your latest book, Southern Cross Crime, the Pocket Essential Guide to the Crime Fiction Film and TV of Australia and New Zealand. I was intrigued when I found out about this book. So, first of all, I guess it is self-explanatory. It is a pocket essential guide to crime fiction in this part of the world. I have to ask, what made you want to write this book? <laughs> well, um, it was one of those things you have in life, Valerie, where a whole lot of things you you do or things you love and different things all come together and mm. and it kind of just happens. And I'd been uh, reviewing crime fiction for magazines and newspapers and, and then later websites as well um, for about a, a decade mm. at the time when I started writing the book a couple of years ago, so about 12 years now. And um, I've often included Australian and New Zealand crime writing because I really liked it. And mm. I was based down in New Zealand and then Australia briefly for a while while I was doing it as well. And so I wanted to include local authors in the newspapers or magazines I was writing for. And then when I moved over to the UK, I, I kept doing that while still writing for a range of publications in different countries. And while over here, being based in London, I came across a series um, of these pocket essential guides, largely written by a gentleman called Barry Forshaw, who's a very well-known crime fiction reviewer in the UK. He's uh, He writes for the Financial Times and The Independent and other publications over here. And he'd also written a number of books, including he'd basically started or in terms of the crime books um, in this pocket essential series with a, with a London publisher, and he'd done books on like Nordic noir and um, and then Brit noir and Euro noir, which was like French and German and Polish crime fiction and things like that. And so Barry had done a handful of these. And I remember he had a new one coming out that he'd done on American noir. And I said to him at a festival, because I would see him regularly at festivals, and I was like, you really should do one on Australian and New Zealand crime writing, Barry. And I'd been 
uh, chairing sessions at, at British crime writing festivals then in, in England and Scotland and elsewhere. And Barry knew me from reviews I'd done. I'd even done some things for his own website he has and things. And he turned around and said, no, Craig, you should. And then he, uh, he um, introduced, so we, we had lunch with his publisher one day and he introduced me to his publisher and, and they asked me to, to do an Australian and New Zealand one to, to kind of complement the series or add to the series, augment it, I guess. And I was absolutely de- delighted because I've been keen to shine a light on Australian and New Zealand crime writing for years. I mm. think it's been fantastic for a long time. And, um, you know, it was relatively good timing because Jane Harper had recently won the CWA Gold Dagger mm. and people were becoming more aware of Australian and New Zealand stuff that, I mean, there's some very great reviewers and others who do great things to shine a light on it in Australia and New Zealand, but globally it was becoming a little bit more known. And so all these things just kind of coalesced a little bit along with as always a few other ingredients seasoned in too. Mm, fantastic. And of course, when you read this book, you, you're gobsmacked at how many there are. You kind of don't really think of that. We obviously um, uh, have a disproportionate number of crime writers <laughs> compared to our population, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but um, well, cri- no, no, please go on. I was going to say crime writing has always been incredibly popular. And, and so when you're over here, you go up somewhere like Scotland. And there's all the kind of famous or brand name, you might say, Scottish crime writers like Ian Rankin and Val McDermott, Denise Minor, uh, Stuart McBride, and many others coming in that people will recognise from our bookshops. But there's dozens and dozens and hundreds even of others. And they have a small population similar to New Zealand of about (laughs) 5 million people. And they have many dozens of crime writers. Their crime writing awards gets 50 or 60 entries every year, including a whole lot of debut authors every year. So I think crime writing is very popular all around the world. And um, but it is one of those things where often the the kind of casual readers or the people that like to re- who like to read but um, rely on recommendations or, or go to the bookshop may only see a few certain authors. And yeah. so it, it was really nice to have an opportunity to shine a light on a lot of other authors who are very fantastic too. And mm. um, so. now you said that you started reviewing crime writing about ten years ago. And and you've you're now super expert in this field. That's really specific. How does one become a crime writing reviewer? How did you start? And then once you started, how did you know you wanted to really go deep? Well, I've always loved reading since I was a kid. Thanks to my parents who introduced it to me. I was one of those kids growing up in in New Zealand, who um, on the summer holidays, I would go to the cricket nets with some friends one day, and then I would go to the library the next day. I loved books and sport, you know, kind of thing. Mm. So it was pretty cool. So, and one of the things I always loved since I was a kid was mystery writing. I did read other books too, fantasy, you know, The Hobbit and Tolkien and David Eddings and other things like that. But I, I did really love mystery writing from when I was very young. Um, Hardy Boys, then Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes, mm. etc. Um, when I was at primary school. And that carried on. And um, so I've always loved crime writing. So I was reading some of it. And I began reviewing in 2008. So I guess, yeah, 12, 12 and a half years now. And um, I'd recently come back from a Latin American trip where I was six months in Latin America. There were these long 12, 18 hour, 24 hour bus rides through Chile and Argentina. And I'd really kind of reconnected with reading then 
because I would go to an English language secondhand bookshop and mm. or the hostel bookshop where they had the different language books and you could give them two and take one or give them one mm. and a couple of bucks and take one. And I would always just go for the mystery books. I would look for Val McDermott and Michael Connolly and people like that and discovered some others. So I'd really reconnected with reading when I started my new job as a legal journalist back in New Zealand. And um, my boss, one day an article didn't come in and we had to fill the page right on deadline. And she's like, have you read any good books lately? Can you just do a book review for the page? And I'd happened to read this new, two new, new New Zealand crime novels, uh, one called Cemetery Lake by Paul Cleave and one called um, The Ringmaster by Van der Simon. So I wrote kind of a review that reviewed both books to fill the page. And then some people responded well to it. So we did like another crime fiction review a, a few issues later. And then I started, I was just reading crime fiction and enjoying it. And I was freelancing for other publications as well as the legal publication writing about sport and interviewing people and things and i really like books too as i say since i was a kid i like sport i like books and some other things and so i started doing book reviews for an australian magazine actually called good reading mm. which is a really mm. terrific publication and so i was kind of regularly doing a few reviews a month and it just kind of naturally went towards crime fiction because I liked reading that. I did review some other you know, legal books and other books for the legal magazine. But when I started freelancing for other people, New Zealand Herald, the New Zealand Listener and other magazines and newspapers, it seemed to be that there was a gap where they weren't at that time in the you know, 2008, 9, 10. They weren't necessarily covering a lot of crime fiction or they were covering you know, the bigger names that were coming out with the reviewers they had or their reviewers were primarily reviewing literary fiction or other things. And so I kind of slotted in to kind of add to what they were doing because I was mm. a fan of crime fiction. And then it just kind of organically became this thing for me where I'd <laughs> get in, get invited to chair a festival because I was the local guy that was reviewing crime fiction for the yeah. newspaper. And, and then you get invited to another festival and then you help set up a festival and you help set up an awards because no one else mm. has set one up. And it just kind of... <laughs> became this strange beast over 10 or 12 years. <laughs> so as a reviewer, I mean, I have so many questions, Like, but, and particularly with crime in, especially. Um, it's. I was reading a review the other day of uh, someone who should know better, quite frankly, um, and there was a spoiler, and that oh, just no. ruined my no. day. I know. Yeah. Ruined my day. I wrote to the editor because I, my day was ruined. So obviously, you don't agree with that. You, 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 no. you know, because some people, some reviewers don't seem to have a problem with it, which really is very annoying. Um. So, so how? What do you? Do you have some kind of structure to a review? So that you know, you know how what it is that you you want to include for the reader. Um, not formally, but I think in my head I kind of do, if that makes sense, Valerie. Yeah. Um, I don't, and, and, um, I mean, I've, I've written a range of reviews over the years. Uh, I haven't actually added them up, but it's probably over a thousand over the last mm. decade that I've done. Not a thousand books, but a thousand reviews, because I've reviewed some books for two or three publications, you know, kind of thing. So several hundred different books. 
And uh, they range from like, you know, the 150 little word snippets for a newspaper where you've got a strict word count for space to, you know, 800,000 words on a book. Often they're in the kind of three, 400 word range. But so it's slightly different for different sizes, obviously. But regardless, what I try and do in my head is you want to give the reader of the review and the potential reader of the book. Mm. For me, I think your whole job is to give them a sense of whether this book might be the kind of book they would like or not. Mm. That's really our job is to shine a light. I like to say we're shining mm. a light on things that we've maybe experienced to see. So someone else can say, Hey, I might like that too. And you know, sometimes we want to shine a light on books, which we think haven't got much attention, which are great. And other times we want to give people an honest assessment of something that maybe everyone's talking about and um won't i uh, my book probably leans uh positive and enthusiastic because i do want to be supportive of everyone um though there is i i think you having read it you'll kind of you can tell there's books that i prefer to others or things that i think are better than others you try and have some quality level too of, of helping people with things but in terms of a review i would normally in my head try and give away not much more than what's on the back cover blurb is kind of my rule like you can give away a little bit more yeah. but you really you're really just trying to incorporate your own version of the back cover blurb plus a little bit mm. and and the plus a little bit shouldn't really be anything that's in the latter half of the book you know kind of thing mm. the, yeah it's like kind of you kind of back cover blurb and early days stuff that's not on the back cover but isn't isn't spoilery you know kind yeah. of thing yeah. And and then and then some comments and and if it's like a hundred and fifty page uh, sorry hundred and fifty word review for a newspaper or magazine a little snippety roundup one where you're rounding up three or four books in five hundred words mm. then obviously you can't say too much so you might only be saying a couple of sentences but yeah. I don't like those reviews where you get you know five hundred word review which is basically four hundred and fifty words summarizing the book oh. often often too far oh. into the book and then yes. one line at the end <laughs> yeah, mm. I, I and i've tried over the last 12 years to avoid doing that at all times i can't say hand on heart that i might not have done a review or two out of a thousand that are close to that maybe at some point but but i do try and in my head you know you kind of have a third maybe a third to half the review as a a, a kind of your own synopsis of the early parts of the book and the setup and then the rest is kind of commenting and trying to be fair because there are books that I read that I don't like that I still review or I think mm. are just middling and if that's the case then I try and give honest reasons why rather than harsh criticism just like hey this didn't really click for me for a b and c reasons but it might still click for you because everyone likes slightly different things you know it's mm. not like I, I try and be as professional as possible, but you've got to be aware that it's my taste too. And I'm yes. a crime om, I'm a crime omnivore. I'll read cozies, I'll read dark serial killer thrillers, I'll read, you know, humorous crime novels, I'll read stuff that's laced with social commentary. I love all of it. But at the same time we all have preferences and we all have different things we want to read at different times. And so I try and be honest and as I say, shine a light so that people can know um you know, oh, this is a book maybe I haven't heard of, or I've heard about this book, what does Craig think? Not that it matters that it's me thinking it, it's just someone shining a light for you. And mm. so that's, sorry for the long answer, Valerie, but that's kind no, of that's the, the thought process in my head, you know, kind of and thing. And so. as you say, you're a crime omnivore and you are 
and you're you you consume a lot of it. <laughs> you're voracious omnivore. Um, yeah, a, a, so, a greedy greedy reader, maybe. <laughs> but, yeah. So, but but yeah, greedy reader. But the the thing is that you know you hear that oh, there's young kids when they play lots of shoot 'em up games for fourteen hours a day. That really impacts their behaviour and it seeps into their psyche. What's your comment on if you're always reading crime and you're always reading about serial killers or murders or <laughs> yeah, well, crime, you know, it doesn't matter at what level, does that impact the way you think? Does that impact you when you go to the shop and you think, oh, he looks shady or, or oh, if someone was to steal rob from this bank, you could do it this way or, you know, does that happen? That's a really good question, Valerie. I hadn't really thought about that very much. I've thought about like violence against women in crime fiction and, and you know, the, the lack of minority writers, which is getting better, but we could always do better. Um, you know, so I've thought about some of those kind of deeper issues, but that's a good question you ask there. Um, so I'm kind of talking off the top of my head here a little yeah, bit because uh, I haven't right. spoken about this a lot in the past, but which is the good. The truth will come um, out. <laughs> yeah, um, but I would say... Not not in a because I know that people have concerns about, you know, music with violence in it or video games with violence in it. And there yeah. are lots of studies that show, you know, there's not direct causal links between that and people who become killers or anything like that. There's some very good stuff out there you can read about that. that, that they're often blamed kind of the satanic panic stuff from the eighties and nineties, kind of equivalent mm-hmm. of blaming Marilyn Manson for a school shooting, which is just junk science or junk opinion really. But um in terms of that I'd say a few things. One, interestingly, and I wouldn't have necessarily thought this myself before I experienced it, but mm. having appeared at a lot of writers' festivals, both kind of literary and arts ones like the Sydney Writers' Festival or Auckland Writers' Festival, where it's a whole range of writers from a whole range of fields, and then crime-specific ones like Bloody Scotland and Seeks to Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival, Rotary and Noir, and and others um Mm -hmm. is that interestingly the crime writers are some of the most kind of um how should i put this uh kind of generous welcoming normal down to earth have a beer with a bar in a bar with just really fun to hang out with it's like they get out all the all the grit and crime and nastiness on the page, you know. Kind of but then, some just, of the most gruesome killers are probably the nicest, most unsuspecting well, that, yeah, people. That's probably, that's probably <laughs> fair too. But uh, the other thing I think I'd say is, is Valerie that, and there's there's plenty of studies to show this. And sorry, I can't quote them off the top of my head. That's all right. But there are a number of studies that show this that reading is an engine for empathy. Like if you read a lot. It is an engine for empathy because it puts you in the shoes of other people. You get to experience lives that you don't experience in your own day-to-day life. Um, And reading in particular, different to listening to something, um, though that still helps too, and different to watching something where it's visual stimuli. But reading where it really engages our brain at a slightly different level because you're kind of picturing things in your own head from the words on the page or the words you're listening to. Um, Reading really builds empathy. And it builds kind of a broader understanding of the world. And this is one of the things why reading and books are so important. It's one of the reasons why I think librarians are superheroes kind of thing and Mm -hmm. deserve so much more respect. And as well as uh, school teachers and primary schools who help kids to read and learn because it just opens up so much for them. But reading in general, not just crime fiction, is just brilliant for that. And so I think people who read a lot of crime fiction, you're experiencing a lot of lives. You're experiencing people who 
go through things that largely most of us will never experience because a lot of us will are fortunate enough that we won't experience violent crime in our lives or if we do experience it it's at a very different level than like a serial killer thriller where you're caught up in an investigation like that and so generally i think although we read about it and there's that escapism there's that experiencing something the otherwise wouldn't there's a little bit like of the horror movie thing of you get to be scared in a in the relatively safe place of your own home you know where you are yes. kind of safe and not a killer next door so all of those things kind of adding in together along with some others, I, I don't think it affects you in too bad a way. Though I have <laughs> found reading a lot of crime fiction, you know, I watch a movie or I pick up a book and you do kind of, you know, I'll, I'll watch a crime drama on TV and you're, you're picking who the killer is five minutes in, you know, kind mm. of thing because, you, because you've read so much. So there is that danger or like I joke around with some of my crime writer friends and I think it's more for them as the writers than us as the readers, but they'll be going past and they, you know, they'll go down an alley in their city and there's like a half open skip there with some rubbish bangs hanging, hanging out. And the thought, Oh, that'd be a good place to hide a body will pop mm. into their head. So, so it does encroach in tiny little ways like that, but not in a massive way or not in a way of seeing the world as this incredibly dark place or anything so like that. So let's talk about that then in terms of being able to predict who done it <laughs> because <laughs> of the, you know, exposure that you've had to the genre. I kind mm. of get it in television shows because sometimes it's a little bit more obvious. But when oh, it's you easier are in TV. Yeah, but when you are reading a book, hmm. is uh, have you been exposed to so much that uh, that you can really see a formula happening in in many books, and you can pick it like from very early on? Is that typically what happens to you, or are you still surprised? There are readers who still surprise me. It probably happens less because you read more. You know, when I was reading Agatha Christie when I was you know ten. And I was reading the Poirot novels, you know, you're regularly surprised, you know, kind of thing. Whereas even if I read some of the some of her books that I maybe haven't read or haven't read for 30 years and so you don't remember so well, um, I might not be so surprised now, you know, kind of thing. Let alone yes. other other writers who followed in the footsteps of Christie and Niall Marsh and, and other authors like that. Um so probably surprised less nowadays, but you enjoy the crime fiction on a number of different levels. I loved the the puzzle crossword style crime fiction of the golden age, Agatha Christie, Nyamar, Sherlock Holmes, etc. Although Sherlock Holmes is pre-golden age, but um, you know that kind of stuff, Hardy Boys and, and things when I was very young. And so I, I did enjoy that, you know, who's the killer? Can I work it out? That very mental puzzle kind of aspect mm. of crime fiction, which it still has. But mm. some of the reasons I enjoy it now as a reader in kind of my 30s and now touching into my 40s is the so many other reasons. You know, there's a lot of crime thrillers where it's a thriller where there's active stuff happening now. It's not just the investigation of something that's passed, like a murder yeah. mystery and you're trying to work out. Um, so there's different, you know, feelings involved with that. There's kind of more gut and heart along with the brain, you know, kind of thing. Um, the deep, rich characters. Crime fiction has some amazing characters. You know, it's often thought of as a very plot-focused genre, but it's really the characters and the sense of place that I think matter a yeah. whole lot in crime fiction. Also, you know, weaving important social issues in, 
um, genre fiction, and I obviously know most about crime fiction than the others, but I know that other genres can do this too, sci-fi, fantasy, and romance, and, and things like that, of weaving in important social issues through the prism of a page-turning story rather than being on a soapbox about it. And I'm not saying that literary fiction gets on a soapbox about it, but there are mm. authors who get on a soapbox about things. Um, and you can kind of, you know, you can breeze through a page-turning thriller um, and you're caught up in the characters and the peril that they are potentially in or what they're trying to solve or what they're trying to fix, the dilemma that they're in. And you kind of learn by osmosis about these other very important things in the world that are going on, whether it's race relations in, in America, if you're reading Attica Locke or Steph Char or um, Sean Cosby, S.A. Cosby's Blacktop Wasteland, one of my favorite books from last year, or whether you're you know, there's these, and Australian and New Zealand crime writers do this very well too, kind of salting in or seasoning their books without oversalting them for one of a cliche, you know, mm. of these issues. And so I love crime fiction for all of those reasons, not just the mental gymnastics crosswordy puzzle part of it. So the fact, the fact that I probably don't get quite as much of that now that I read a hundred plus novels a year mm. doesn't really bother me, you know, kind of thing in yes. a way. And, and I still get it sometimes, and there are still authors who do it exceptionally well. And um, but it doesn't bother me if. And, and I find that some of the books I enjoy the most is when you think you may have worked out something early on, but you're never sure. And the even if you got the right murderer, so to speak, mm. the author delivers it in an exciting, interesting way. So it doesn't matter mm. that you guessed right, or mm. the author plays with you and has set you up and it's not who you think even though you thought it was leading one way so even if you think you see all the signs some authors know that the readers can see the signs and they play with that so there's yep. still a heck of a lot to enjoy regardless i think yes but. now in writing your book which mm-hmm. um is a pocket essential guide to crime fiction it, there's um a lot of um very brief succinct summaries on different um, (laughs) authors. And one of the hardest things to do in writing is to pack a lot of information and interesting information in a well-written way in a short piece, which you've done so many of in this book. (laughs) In writing this book, what was your approach? Did you kind of – because you had to start from scratch. How did you decide – who to include, the order in which to include them, um, what you would write about them, and was the information all in your head from all that years of experience or did you have to do lots more further research? Uh, That's a great question, Valerie. Thank you so much for the kind comments about my book because that was what I was trying to do. Um, One of the most difficult things about writing it was deciding who to put in and and who to who who I didn't, or who to discuss in depth, and who got mm. kind of listed. Listed. You might have noticed at the end of chapters, I kind of listed some people. I saw Barry mm. do that, and I li- listed some extra books. So I thought, right, I can fit a few more in by doing that. And you mm. feel awful that you couldn't discuss them at the same length. But it's just simply <laughs> simply a numbers game in terms of um, in terms of what you can fit in. So I so I had to do smaller 
you know, kind of small little concise sections, which mm. again, a nod to Barry Forshaw, because I saw that that was kind of the structure he used. I did actually throw in a couple of things into my book, our, our Antipodean one, that are a little different to his series. Um, so there were a few flavorings, um, the, the kids and young adults section, that's not mm. in any of the other books in the series. But as I say, I really admire uh, librarians and school teachers and the people who write kids and young adult books. Um, I think they're so vitally important, so I wanted to include them too. And I also had the large section at the back of larger, more extensive interviews with a dozen or so, uh, yeah. 13, I think, um, people. So there were some wrinkles to the series that I brought. You know, us Aussies and Kiwis, we like to add some stuff and do things <laughs> slightly our own way, you know. But um, that was very difficult. It was one of the most difficult things early on to try and, work out uh, who to include, how much I can include and things like mm -hmm. that. And what I did in the end was I obviously went back over everything that I'd done the last dozen or so years, plus everything I'd, I knew about the time that had preceded, books that I'd read and things that, you know, you, you reference Peter Corris or something, you reference his early stuff, even if I was reviewing his new stuff, you know, kind of thing with it as it came out and things like that. And um, so I went over all of that, and I basically just started making myself up some big lists of things. And I and Barry had um, done his books kind of geographically, like if he did Europe, he had, you know, he'd kind of do things like you know um, France and Germany and stuff, or Nordic things. And sometimes he did things slightly by theme. And so I kind of came up with my own themes of like, you know, city crime and rural crime, and then many sections of each each city or things and, and then kids and young adult and historical and, and things like that. Mm. And so I started making myself up some big lists for each section of who I thought I should cover, you know, the, the kind of hidden gems, the people that were published in the nineties or early two thousands that are perhaps um, not active now, but I thought still needed to be, you know, covered. People can find them in a lot library, secondhand bookshops or some bookshops and stuff. And uh, just started making up big lists. And then I, um, although I like to think that I have a good grasp of going, what's going on, you know, there's obviously, I'm not a one man army and I don't know everything as I do know. I, I'm fortunate enough that I do know quite a bit, you know, and hopefully I can share that. So I actually ran the lists past several people I knew in the Australian and New Zealand crime running community. So uh, Lindy Cameron, uh, the president of Sisters in Crime Australia, I sent Lindy the list and said, look, these are the names I've got. Am I missing anyone obvious you think that I really should have? Are there any authors you would love to see in the book? And obviously, Lindy could say, well, all of our members, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but, but she was really, really kind of good. She understood that I couldn't fit everyone in and that I had to try and give a, a sampling. And you try and, you know, I try, I made sure that I included, you know, anyone who'd been shortlisted for the Ned Kelly Awards or the David Awards from Sisters in Crime or the mm. Nye Marshall New Zealand. And you kind of include... Um, you know, all the bestsellers, all the awards, shortlistings, um, all people that I think are great that have been overlooked, um, people that kind of represent different areas of crime um, and crime writing, you know, historical crime writing and that. So I ran the list past Lindy. I ran the list past uh, Karen Chisholm, who's been a Ned Kelly Awards judge and a judge of other awards. as uh, a great reviewer for Newton Review of Books and her own website and other places. And ran the list past a couple of other people as well. And um, so collectively kind of, and they added a few names here and there, which was really great and I was really grateful for. 
so I looked back over all the reviews I'd done, all the interviews I'd done. I've interviewed a couple of hundred authors over the last decade, or 250, 300 of which, you know, 100, 150, 200 might be New Zealanders and Australians. Mm-hmm. And um, and then researched some more and read some more as well and kind of read ahead because of, you know, I, I was writing the book at the end of 2019, editing it early 2020, though it got delayed with publication with COVID and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and so I kind of tried to read ahead, reading as many 2020 books as I could, you know, even if they weren't out yet, so I could mention them or discuss them. And um, Yeah, it's very and, up to date. <laughs> yeah, and so I, that's that's kind of the process, Valerie. You know, it's, it, it's always there's a little bit of strategy and a little bit of uh, kind of organic evolution and a little bit of support from your mates and a little bit of just doing the best you can, you know, kind of thing. Mm. And, and I, I knew I've written those listy kind of articles of like my 10 favorite reads of the year, or I've written, you know, a dozen Australian crime writers to try for a British website and a dozen New Zealand crime writers try mm. for, to try for the same website. And, you know, I know reading those articles myself, the first thing that pops into your head is where's so-and-so, you know, kind of thing. Yes. So I, so I knew that even in a book where I'm featuring 250 Australian and New Zealand novelists, and it was going to be 200, I managed to squeeze a few more in. Mm-hmm. You know. But even when I'm doing that, I knew one of the first things of, of some people would be is where's this author I really love. And so yeah. I tried to minimise the possibility of that. But as I say in the introduction, I, I'm aiming for comprehensive, not definitive, you know, kind of thing. So, so you have got it in sections and you've divided yeah. it like by city, but also, you know, in um, historical and as you say, YA. Did When you were actually to the stage where you were writing it, did you yeah. – Approach it in a linear fashion and, you know, write about each of those authors or did you kind of go like a bit of a lucky dip and I feel like writing about Candace Fox today or and, and just then piece it together afterwards? A little bit of both. Um, sometimes I had a little bit of a plan and sometimes – you know, I'm, I was being a. Oh, I was pre-lockdowns and stuff here when I was writing it and editing it. I actually, <laughs> I just recorded the audio book the weekend before we went into lockdown here in London. Oh. So that was my la- last trip anywhere up to Oxford to record the audio book. Um, <laughs> and it was so the book was actually at the printers when we went into lockdown. That's why it got delayed. Um, so, but I was uh, looking after our daughter. I'm kind of the more stay-at-home parent. So mm-hmm. I was piecing it around looking after her, um, and, and then she'd started school, but I was still looking after her before and after and doing all the school-related stuff. And um, so it was piecing it together a little bit. So some days you have days where you're feeling a little flatter, and so I would you know, write, write about an author who really excited me or one that I'd just read or one that I – was you know and and that would get you rolling and you'd write about others. I mean, my, all of the authors there's something worth saying about. I hope, which is why I've said something about them. But mm. you know, you have some like you say. I'll be like, oh, I just read Candace's new book. That's really cool. I'm going to write about an older one, which I think is great, Crimson Lake. But reading her new mm. ones kind of got me sparked thinking about her. So I'll write about her. She's a great author. Mm. Um, or you know, oh, I really love that Caleb. Val- um, 
that Caleb Zellick book from Emma Viscook. I'm going to write about her. Or, oh, geez, the new Paul Cleves coming out. That's cracking. I'm going to, I should, I'll write his section today, you know. So there was a little bit of that, which is a very good question from you. But also, so it was semi-systematic and semi-flexible kind of thing. Mm. Uh, because obviously had to, like any of us, we're writing and amongst the rest of our lives and the people who matter to us and the other things we need to do. So some days you're very efficient and some days it's a struggle. <laughs> and and so, you know, I would I would adjust it accordingly. You know. Have you been tempted to write your own crime novel? I'm sure you get asked this all the time. <laughs> yes, uh, um, sometimes I get asked it at festivals and other things or people telling me I should, which is very kind of them to think, that I could write a good one because um, just knowing a lot about a genre doesn't mean you'd be good at writing it. I have so much admiration for the crime novelists out there. I know how much work goes into it and how much thought. Mm. I mean, I love the genre. Um, I've for the last you know twenty years of my life since I was at university in high school, um, writing for university magazines and stuff, or writing for magazines on the side of being a corporate lawyer for a few years. I've, I've generally written nonfiction about things, you know, whether it's I've written about, um, you know, real real people, stories for newspapers and magazines or real legal issues or real – I've written about books. I've written about fiction, but I'm writing nonfiction, you know, kind of thing. So mm. um, occasionally I have little ideas that cross my mind, and um, but I wouldn't – I wouldn't deign to think that I could be a great crime writer or anything just because I have ideas and I like the genre. There's so much that goes into it. Uh, maybe one day, I, I, to, to be perfectly honest, Valerie, um, I read so much to my daughter. She loves stories. And I am so grateful to the kids and young adult readers who've sparked reading in me and sparked reading in the kids of my friends. And, and now my daughter is loving their stories is that in some ways I think if I did write one, I might actually write a, a kind of juvenile crime wow. fiction or YA crime fiction. Um, and again, I would never deign to think that I could be like someone like Ali Marni or Tristan Banks or any of the amazing kids. Deign and, to think. Uh, Why not? Why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> well, I, but I would, you know, I would, not day to think that I could be anywhere near as good as them. I would have a lot of work to do and have to go through the process, but I would like, <laughs> but maybe I do think if I write a fictional crime novel one day, it might be more of a kids or YA one because I love those kind of stories. They're what got me into it. I mm. see my daughter loving those kind of stories, all kinds of stories. She loves dragons and mermaids and everything at the moment. <laughs> She's six. You know, kind of thing. Maybe I could write a mermaid mermaid <laughs> mystery for her. Actually, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> but, um, so, but uh, yeah, so maybe one day. I, I love doing what I do, um, but I do love fictional stories. And I used to write fictional stories many years ago, you know, for high school and university. And so maybe one day I'll, I will circle back, but uh, I wouldn't. As I say, I, I don't want to put out there that I think I could do it like they do because there's so much that goes into it. And I, I'm I looking go... forward to that book. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Val, uh, my one of my my daughter has already been introduced to Val McDermott, um, oh my both God. physically and my physically and <laughs> oh. my book. But but I should point out that it's a it's a very cool kids picture book called My Granny Is a Pirate that oh, right. Val wrote a few years ago, and so Val McDermott is already one of my daughter's favourite authors. And Laura <laughs> Lippman, the 
the amazing American crime writer Laura Lippman, who's brilliant and more people should read. Um, she's well known in America and, and or the United States, and and uh, her books are available elsewhere and they get great reviews. But she's not necessarily stacked, you know, twenty books high in the booksellers. But you definitely want to read Laura Lippman. She has also written a kids. Um, picture book so i need to get that for maddie as well so <laughs> but uh yeah so maybe she'll read vel mcdermott when she's a bit older as well she's too young for vel at the moment so just but, a bit so, so yeah. um one of the reasons i think this book is such a cracker is that it is yeah i i, I like how it's called uh, the pocket essential guide because it is pocket in the sense that you can dip it in and out of certain things and it's yeah. such a great guide because you. you know, it's there will guys. be authors in there that people are obviously familiar with and who they mm. do already read. But what it does is just you, you've heard of – there's so many other authors that you have you know of and some that you don't, of course, but you, you know of because you've been to the bookshop but you've never picked up their book. And this gives you a really good guideline as to what to look at next. And I think it's great for not only – readers of crime, but readers generally because of the way that you've set it out and th and because of what you've chosen to write about, which is, um, as I said, it's, it's little, very short snippets, but all the stuff that you want to know. So congratulations. I think that um, it's a cracker. Thank you. Thank you, Valerie. That's very kind. I mean, that that was the goal of it. So it's, it's really gratifying to get that kind of feedback mm. from people. I mean, I, I had... I had a couple of early reviews where the person said, I read your book and I immediately went and bought five other books. Um, <laughs> of all, and, and that was kind of like, or someone said to me, one of the first reviews, and then they said it to me in a message as well. They're like, this is the most expensive book I've ever bought, even though it's a normal book price, because I've bought yep. so many other books already and I've only had it for two days, you know, kind of thing. So and true. I was like, good. But it was like, good, that's what I wanted. I'm, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you have a little bit of pride in what you do yourself, but I'm trying to shine a light on other authors. I mm. hope that people pick up my book, and I would love, obviously, more people to buy it and more people to loan it, get it loaned out from their library or ask the library to get it. I obviously would love, from a personal standpoint, for that to happen. But I'm really trying to shine a light on all our amazing Australian and New Zealand crime writers. So I really hope, as someone else said, it's like a Narnia door, into a yes. whole world of Australian and crime writing. And, and that's what I've tried to be like. And um, I know it's kind of, it's a, really, I mean, it's a work of literary criticism. So I know it's not, you know, it's not a book that you're going to have 20 copies of in a bookstore. And I'm <laughs> very aware of that. But I would almost hope that, you know, some bookstores would actually maybe have it in the crime section, you know, beside other crime novels rather than in mm. the literary criticism section, because it's really shining a light about them and, and, and on them. And um, and I hope that it is like a, a key to a Narnia or, or, or however you want to describe it. Someone said it's like opening a treasure chest of Australia to New Zealand crime. I was like, yeah, cool. That's exactly what I'm trying to do is like, here's a bit more about authors you may already know about. Here's something about other authors you may love. It's kind of an extension of what I've tried to do with my reviewing the last 12 years is casting a light on things that I think are awesome and that I hope other people will try too. And obviously, a, a little bit parochial being a Kiwi and having lived <laughs> in Australia and having Australian family and stuff as well, is that I really would like to particularly do that with people from our part of the world for everyone else that's in the US and the UK and Europe and everywhere else. So, Brilliant. As well as people at home. And thank you so much for your time today, Craig. Well, thank you so much. It's been absolutely delightful to chat, Valerie. So. 
All right. So there was Craig Sisterson. And you mentioned his Twitter is great to follow, Al. So oh, what's yes. His... He's just at Craig Sisterson, which is S-I-S-T-E-R-S-O-N. Fantastic. All right. So we're almost at the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week? Uh, I am finishing my copy edit for The Wolf's Howl, which has been an ongoing saga, as you might remember. And I am – what else am I doing? Um, well, I'm preparing for my birthday, which is coming up. Exciting. I always, I do have to prepare. Do you have to brace yourself for your birthday? I've always had to do that. I think ever since I was about five, I've braced myself for my birthday. For the actual day or for the party? Oh, no, I don't do parties much. Right. No, but if you know was, what I mean. If there, but was a par- it- if there was a party involved, I, I would have had to start bracing about four yes, weeks ago. Yes, agreed. Uh, no, just, yeah, just for the day itself. Mind you, this one, yeah. Mm. You know, I'm just preparing. I'm going to, I am going to the, to not the movies, I am going to the theatre to celebrate though. Quite excited. Speaking about Ruth Park, I'm off to see playing Beatty Bo at oh, Sydney wow. Theatre Company. Yeah, I'm oh, looking cool. forward to that. See, I'm All a right. fan. Who yes. knew? Well, now I can go I'll, to her house as well. I will send you the link um, and you can <laughs> Just, go visit we her can house. Drive past yes. after the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You can. Um, uh, awesome. So that is uh, you're going to see play Beatty Bow, and I'm going to see. Oh, I've got. I've got. I actually bothered to get a subscription this year oh. to the theatre, and um, for the last two. Uh, you know, um, theatre events, I've had to give away the tickets because I just had too much else on, which is a complete waste of having a subscription. Wow, that's disappointing. I know, very. You need to organise your life better, babe. I so do. Stop bubble wrapping things and go to the theatre. I know you've got a lot of bubble wrap to use up, but nonetheless, you can take a break. All right, fantastic. Um... That's it, I think. Where do we find you online now? Can you all hear that? With the bubble wrap. I've I've done it. I have actually managed to kind of, you know, dent the poise of Valerie Koo with the bubble wrap. All right. um, Well, let's wrap up then, shall we? Yes. Where do we find you online now? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find the unflappable Val? <laughs> you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 